Today, in Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, we're going to discuss logic and computational logic. Listen up. Hello and welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology, and business. Together today with Lana, we are going to discuss one topic, which is a large topic, which is called computational logic. We will touch upon questions such as whether or not the law is logical, or also whether lawyers per se need to know logic and how logic actually developed into something we call today computational logic and what is computational logic and all of these kind of things. So whoever is listening to us can get a basic understanding, the so to speak one-on-one understanding on computational logic. Are we going to be talking about maths today? Yes. One of my favorite subjects, and I'm sure it's the, one of the favorite subjects of, of all of our listeners out there. Right. Because we, we, we all went to uh, law school because, you know, we love maths, right? At the end of high school, it's all what we wanted to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. But, um, so, should we start? Yeah. Okay. So, Alexandra, mm-hmm. what is logics? That's a good question. I actually um, look back into the book in order to find um, some kind of a good reference so I don't need to rethink the, the, the definitions that are out there. So if you think about what is logic, then you should somehow imagine that it's some form of a reasoning, right? A part of the reasoning that has evolved over the centuries. And we know that Logic was one of the favorite topics to discuss amongst the ancient Greeks and Romans. Uh, but logic as a discipline could be could be defined as one that analyzes logical methods and argument patterns and their elements, including syntax and semantics. That sounds complicated. Yeah. Okay, so if we if we kind of try to distill it, Right? Then uh, we could say that the syntax, if we look at the syntax of the natural um, language or the sentences we use as a kind of a arrangement of the words, of the phrases within a sentence, so it makes sense. Mm. Right? Does that mean logics is a type of language? No, it means that each and every language has a certain logic. Right. So if you translate that, uh, and this is part of the logic, logic, as a, as I said, the syntax as the structure, how we put what in order to have and make sense. Mm. But also in computational thinking, in a sense, OK, what is the structure of the statement in the code, for instance, mm. so that actually the computer can make sense out of this structure where we put different kinds of functions and yeah. strings yeah. and whatnot. So this is one part of the logic. And the second part of the logic is this semantics, which to us lawyers is extremely important, I would argue, 
which is the meaning behind the words, behind the uh, text, different kinds of phrases and sentences. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I understand correctly, um, in logics, we look at the meaning of certain terms, of certain concepts, mm -hmm. and we look at how they can be placed in different orders, and that order articulates that meaning in a different or new way. Yes. And that's what we do when we code, right? Depending on if the if comes first or then or some kind of other indicator that tells the machine to do X or Y, depending on the order in which they're done, yeah. they're, they're put in there, that's going to have a different effect, right? Exactly. So the sequence, for instance, within the kind of a code, yeah. makes obviously a difference whether you do first this or yeah. you do something else. Yeah. The word logic is a, uh, a word we use a lot, I think, in uh, common language. We say that uh, this is just logical uh, and so on. Or, oh, yeah, those two things are logical. Uh, mm -hmm. It's logical that he acted like this or it's logical that they did this and so on and so forth. Is that the same meaning than what you're talking about? Do we use the word logic every mm -hmm. day the same way? We are using the word logic now? I think so, or partially yes, right? Because, so when we talk about computational logic, it's more about uh, trying to understand precisely the sequence and the meaning of different kinds of functions, different kinds of actions that we can do on the computer and how we put them in order to achieve what we envisioned at the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very similar in a sense of the law, as we say, is it logical? What is the purpose? What is the aim? What do we envision? And does the structure and the meaning that we give to the sentences or to the provisions actually have the effect that we wanted it to have yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah. So in this sense, I would say it's somehow um, obviously connected. Okay, okay. So we're talking about a lot of very ethereal concepts right now, mm -hmm. I think. Like we're talking about logic. And we just touched upon how computational logic is important for computers because that's basically the foundation of how you code how you parameter yes. uh, computers so that they can work. Like basic functions are all based on, everything's based, boils down to computational logics. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go to, um, uh, we're going to go into law now. Uh, but before that, mm -hmm. uh, just to give the mind a rest, uh, Alexandra, did you know that you can count in the binary system, using your hands on your fingers. <laughs> well, to be honest, I heard about that at some point, but did I know how to do it? No, I didn't. So I, I waited for you to, it was just uh, a, a little bit before we started to record this podcast where you showed me actually how, how smart it is, because it's obviously much better and gives you a larger set of numbers than the classical 
Right. <laughs> Much <laughs> easier. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think it's fun. Yeah. And I think it's useful to understanding how like computers function, uh, bytes and uh, and zeros and ones. But I don't. I don't think this is actually something we can use on a daily basis to count. <laughs> but I can count until thirty-one using just one hand. Exactly. Okay. So. Bear with me. And if you're doing this uh, while biking, if you're listening to us while biking, then I suggest you you take a break or you come back to this later. But don't do this while driving uh, or riding a bike. So take your hand and put it in front of you. Yes. Yeah, you too. Okay. Now you're gonna you're gonna close all your fingers. Okay. So and it's you're a gonna, fist now. You're, you're making a fist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're making a fist with your hand, and then. You're having uh, the, the, the back of your hand towards your face. So like the fist is in front of you. Okay. So that's, if you look at your face like this, it's zero. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there's no finger up. So it's yes. zero. But now you're going you're gonna to raise up your thumb. Yes. So you keep like your hand in the same position and you raise your thumb. That's one. Does it matter in which position is the... No, it doesn't actually. Okay. It's just the way I do it, but it's just so that, you know, we all have kind of the same image. Okay. You look at your hand and uh, you raise your thumb. That's one. Mm-hmm. Then you put your thumb back into a fist and you raise your index finger. Okay. That's two. That's two. Mm-hmm. So in binary system, it's zero, one, and that's two because the thumb is down, the index is up. So it's zero thumb, one index. Uh-huh. Okay. Now you keep the index up and you raise your thumb. So you have both the thumb and the index up. That's three. And in binary system, it's one, one. Exactly. Uh-huh. Now, if you raise, if you, if you, if you go back to a fist uh-huh. and now you raise the middle finger as if you were flipping someone off. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know whether it's just me, but, you know, just raising this one finger out, out yeah, of yeah, your yeah. hand. It's also like yoga for hands. Exactly. This exercise. So if you if you just raise your middle finger and look at it like that and mm-hmm. no other finger is up, that's four. Okay. And now keeping the middle finger up, you raise the thumb. That's five. five. Then you put down the thumb, you raise the uh, index. The index. That's six. Ooh. Uh, and that's like the peace sign. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then if you raise uh, the thumb too, so you have the thumb, the index, and the major, um, that's... Eight? Seven. Seven? Wait. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, seven. Trick and question. then you go on like this, and you reach 30, 31 or 32. I can't remember. Anyway, we'll make a little video <laughs> to show you. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so how are lawyers logical? Well, How's think- logic related to law? Because that's that's your point, right? And that's that's also something we hear when we study law. Like law is about, it's a logical system in a certain way. I think, you know, we encounter, one could say, logic um, in different parts um, of the law, I would argue. One of the things that we, we should be trained as lawyers is really building arguments and being persuasive, right? Even though in the times of, you know, fake news and all these kind of things, being maybe um, persuasive is not as easy as it used to be. Uh, But nonetheless, we use logic precisely for that. We use logic to build argument. We use logic as a, 
as a kind of a, you know, that cement that you put into in between. So I would imagine it as if you build the wall, for instance, right, that you would have this thoughts that can be shown as one brick of argument. And depending how you put these bricks together uh, and whether you put it one on one and then what you build on the top of it and where you put the next on. And if you glue that all together with cement or whatever goes in between the bricks, I would say that that's the logic. Mm. And I think that also when we write as lawyers and, and not just students, but like professional lawyers or judges, or if you even read decisions, right, you see, or in a good, one could argue that in a good decision, you can see the logic from the, from, from the way how you, how you read the, the decision. Mm. That makes, uh, yeah, I, I can see your point. Um, I think maybe also in law, it's, it's also a lot about uh, whether something falls within one category or another, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in law, if you go back to the Roman law and the Summa Divisio, you have three things. You have actions, persons, and things. Yes. And then essentially those are, those are your three ifs, mm-hmm. your three, you know, foundational ifs. And then there's then. For example, if you are a person, then you have the right to ownership. Mm -hmm. If you are an action, uh, then what kind of action you are? Like, uh, if you are an action of murder, then you get 15 years of prison or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so a certain area, the the rules have this logical foundation. Yeah. Logical structure that we find also in computational logic and the in the kind of if then if then if then in the, that that's always I, there in, in in code right exactly and I think that you know and you how you think about the codes ultimately is about what are the conditions how you put them in the the kind of the syntax and then based on that what are the consequences mm, and I think mm. that we see this kind of conditions uh, consequences parallel yeah. also in the law. And I think we mentioned in one of our previous uh, episodes that ultimately there are one of the the best, I would say, or or simplest um, logical translations or some law that we could, in theory, easily translate to if-then sentences and these conditions is the criminal law, Mm. right? Because this says, like, if you commit this and this and this and under these conditions and these conditions are met, then... Yeah. you are to face 10 to 15 years in prison or then yeah, you are to yeah. face some kind of a financial penalty. Mm. So so naturally, and um, there is this kind of a structure that we use in our uh, law, but also in our everyday life. Yeah. If I get to work, if I work well, if I work hard, then I get my salary yeah. <laughs> at the end of the month. Yeah. Isn't that saying that everything is logic then? Okay, maybe this is going too far. <laughs> maybe this is going too far. Let's uh, let's focus back on it. But um, I've I I I'm sure you've also come across this kind of stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I've I've come across a lot of people either doing research or building tech solutions to automatizing the law. Yes. Right. Doesn't that all rely on this base assumption that law is a logical system? Correct. In the sense, like you, you get people that say we can automate the law. Yes. We don't need lawyers anymore. You yes. can just uh, chat with a chatbot. Yes. 
and then you you'll get the results yes. and the, the chatbot yes. does everything for you. And possibly, you know, some of the actions are automatizable. Yeah. Right? Because ultimately also this computational thinking uh, or logic, not just thinking, but computational logic is about kind of the translation of the of the the process to a pre-designed, predefined kind of set of actions. Uh, but there are come a couple of um, requirements from my perspective, and that is a that the the list is finite, mm-hmm. right? That you cannot ca- come on with new uh, actions and so on. So it's limited. Yeah. And also that it's a very clearly defined, so there is a very narrow space for interpretation. Yeah. So in theory, yes. Yes. In practice, well, mm, <laughs> not all of it at least. But probably there always. are some things we can we can get out of turning law into computations, and we already do that, right? You do that, like in number number of the the legal texts that are out there. One very fairly simple legal tech that is out there, and I think is fairly successful. Uh, it's also a Danish one, but there are some competitors out there as well. So we'll not mention the names necessarily, but <laughs> but those uh, legal texts, and we can define them as legal texts that help people uh, when their flight is delayed or when their uh, flight is cancelled and so on. Because there is one beautiful European directive that, guess what, was fairly written logically, uh, that somehow shows that what conditions, which conditions need to be met in order for you to qualify, and there is a specific amount of money that you are entitled to receive. So, for mm. instance, if your uh, flight is cancelled less than, let's say, I don't remember, seven days before your departure, then you are entitled to this amount of money, depending also what is the length of the flight, so where you're flying. If your flight is under, I don't know, 1,500 kilometers, that's 200 euros if it's above, but less than 2,500, it's 300, and so on. I don't remember the exact number, yeah, yeah, so yeah, don't yeah, cite yeah, me, but, like, but yeah. this is this is the logic, right? And this logic, because it's a finite what can happen in majority of the circumstances, yeah. can, you can then translate into something that you can automate, yeah. right? And that's the reason why, you know, these people who have designed this mm. solution can simply just put it on and then, you know, help most presumably, yeah. Yeah. I would say 80% of all of the cases, because 80% will fall under or whatever yeah. the yeah. number, but it's obviously fairly uh, a sizable amount of the cases, fall under this where the depending on the conditions, the outcome is fairly clear. Yeah. And probably this is particularly amazing because I don't know a lot of practicing lawyers that would be interested in taking those kind of cases, right? Exactly. To do those cases of, uh, uh, I missed my flight, uh, yes. I'm owed 300 euros. Yes. No one's going to want to spend uh, no. uh, lawyer time on this, even the lawyers themselves, right? Exactly. But if you, obviously, this is a question of numbers, right? But if you can uh, attract... I don't know, let's say hundreds of people per month that will just submit their claim and you take a percentage of their success, you know, and they usually have some success fee. So only the cases that they are actually, they rendered the, uh, will they see any money uh, instead of leaving it out? Like I personally, right? So, So even though I'm a qualified lawyer, I had one of my flights, that's why I'm mentioning it now, I have one of my flights cancelled in the middle of the night, less than 10 hours before departure. And 
you know, I was a super upset, but also then I needed to look into this directive and like, okay, so I needed to spend some time in order to understand it. Yeah. So I can just imagine that a, for so many people out there, well, yeah, maybe now it's a common knowledge that you are entitled, but when it all started, it yeah, wasn't yeah, really a yeah, common yeah, knowledge, yeah, yeah. right? So, so all of these things, and also all the the, the the airline companies, they didn't have the fine processes to do that. Now they all kind of have a exactly. a web page where you can go file your own claim, exactly. which is usually very very well hidden, yes, and and so on. But I've heard stories of people having to go through uh, um, a call and then two hours uh, yeah. time, and then there's no nothing on the system that tells you you are number fifty six in line or something like that so it's just beeping for an hour and a half yes and then uh, you know uh that person finally reached someone and uh, they say yeah my flight has been cancelled and uh i think i'm owed compensation and then the person on the phone answers are you sure about that yeah and that's like company policy to answer that probably for that that person on the on the, on the phone and like yes i'm sure okay then <laughs> And then they got their money like this. But yeah, um, uh, little uh, digression aside, I think it's important that you mention this question of European law. Uh, and it's something we've talked about many times also in the previous season of the podcast is this question of coherence in the law mm. as opposed to uh, regulatory instrumentalism. So that's like... That's theories and theory of law and philosophy of law. It's, it's a bit high-flying, but I think it's also interesting to talk about for a few minutes here. Yes. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, those, those theories are developed by Roger Brownsword, who's a professor at, um, in London. I can't remember which school. <laughs> Sorry, Roger. Uh, but anyway, he was developing those ideas that for a very long time, the kind of impetus behind lawyering work also for like practicing lawyers for legal academics and legislators was creating coherent legal systems mm. and that goes on until 1945 and the idea behind the, the work of lawyering is to making sure that all the different laws work coherently together and in a logic and a rational way and that things don't contradict the, each other and that you know it's just a matter of reaching this kind of state of perfection and beauty and coherence whereas nowadays especially visible with european union but also you know with like legislative uh, impetus in countries like china mm -hmm. The idea is that law has become a political tool and no, it's no longer about the question of purity of coherence. It's about a question of regulatory goal and how law can be used as an instrument to solidify, unify the single market in Europe, for instance. And then like all the laws that come out, they just come to create that single market and they're used in that way. And the idea to create, to bring coherence isn't as important, at least to the legislators. Mm. But what do you think about that? I think, I think I definitely see law as an instrument, but I would, you know, I would challenge this statement that it's, you know, until 1945, law was this pure thing without any instrumentalism uh, kind of, or any policy behind it. I think, for instance, if we name dropping, then I allow myself to name drop the, the name of Katharina Pistor, who wrote this excellent book on Law is Code, where she actually goes to 
history of predominantly financial instruments, how they have been designed through law to achieve certain uh, certain goals. So I think that, you know, saying that, you know, it's only the European Union that uses law as an instrument to achieve its policies, I think it's it's not 100% true. I believe that we all use that always the, the, the law has been an instrument for the government or whoever was the, the ruler to have these kind of... Uh, some forms or set of rules to to really apply in the life in order to achieve certain goals. Uh, but over the decades, lawyers themselves and 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 probably also courts have pushed forward in order to make believe the others that mm. this is actually what mm, mm. is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the logic or coherence comes in. Yeah. But also on the other hand, you have the coherence of the the, which as is, so to speak, one could argue the constitutional obligation of the courts, whether Europe Court of, uh, Court of Justice of the European Union or the national courts, where the decisions need to be coherent. They need to be logical. Mm. They need to be going back to this persuasiveness yeah, and, and argumentation. to a question of... Uh legal security, right? Exactly, want, and predictability. We don't and want if, the same cases to be treated differently. We want uh, the same cases to be treated exactly. the same way. So, so that's where, you know, there is beauty in it, in a sense that if this is really the case, then many of the instances we could, in theory, put into code, use computational logic, and translate it into something that is optimized, and predominantly in a public sphere, in the sphere of public administration, where every single case, as long as it fulfills the same conditions, should have the same consequences. Yeah. That's great. Are we logical human beings? Are we even good at being logical? Uh, I would say no. I think that uh, there is lots of research shows how, how we are more of an emotional uh, type of creatures than, than logical. But yeah. what do you think? I think... <laughs> I love to lead in, right? Yeah. With those kind of questions, because I have something to say about it. So I think that human, like the human brain is inherently bad at being in this kind of formal logic system. Um, and here's an, a little illustration. It's called the Wason logic test. So you have four paper cards that are laid on a table in front of you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And on each card, on one side, there is a number that is either e that is either even or uneven, mm -hmm. and then a color, red or blue. Okay? okay. So you have four cards in front of you. The two cards to the left, the first one, you can see the, the faces with the numbers. It's five, and the next one is eight. And then the next two cards, you can see red and you can see blue. So you only see the color of the card, but you don't see whether the the number behind them is yeah. even or uneven. Exactly. You only mm -hmm. see you only see one side of the card. Yes. And like you can you can you can uh, Google this uh, Wason test W A S O N mm -hmm. to see it. Um, and the idea is to test. You you need to prove that the following rule is true. If a card has an even number 
then it has red. a red color on the other side. Yeah. Yes. Even cards are red. Yes. That's the rule. How do you test that rule to show that it is true? And you can flip the cards. And the point is that you need to flip as few as possible. Mm -hmm. Because if you flip all of them, of course, you're going to figure out <laughs> if it's true or not. But you just need to prove that single rule, even cards are red. So how, how would you do that? Like, which cards do you need to flip? You have five, eight, red, blue in front of you. And I need to showcase that the red cards are even, right? So I need to show yes. that at the end of the day, behind eight is on a red card and that behind, yeah. Okay, I see your point. Um, well, I would turn number eight and then the blue card. Yes, good job. That's the answer. And if you, if you just, you know, think a little bit about why this works, it's really tough. And there's like lots of explanations online. You can figure it out on your own. But let me ask you exactly the same problem mm -hmm. in a different way. You are at a bar. Mm -hmm. There's four people at the counter. Mm -hmm. The first two persons you know are 16 and 25. Okay. That's what you know about those two first persons. You have, yeah, two, yeah. Uh, one you know is 16. The other one you know is 25. They're your friends. And then the next two persons, you don't know them, mm -hmm. but you can see what they're drinking. The first one is uh, drinking uh, soda. And the second one is drinking a beer. Mm -hmm. Now, you know that it is illegal to drink if you are not 18. So how do you police that rule? Well, then you check the 16-year-old, the right? And the person who is drinking the beer. Exactly. Right? It's exactly the same logic, uh, logic problem. <laughs> yeah, but one is easier to comprehend. Exactly. Because the other one is set in a social system, that is social rationality. We're good at social rationality. And that, you know, it makes the point about law being logical instead, in, in a certain way, because... As soon as it's about policing a social rule, a legal rule, it comes, it's like understanding the logic of those rules is much easier than if you actually have to deal with numbers and cards and stuff that's very, you know, uh, formal abstract. logics and abstract. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, but I think that we, we run over our time some uh, substantially, but uh, we, I think we've enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and uh, before we end... Just don't forget that our following season, following episode will be, again, touching upon the computational logic, but we will go a little bit deeper even. Um, so we'll do a deep dive on it. Uh, thank you, Lona, for joining me. Thanks, Alexandra. Thank you, Philippa, for being our producer for this episode. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law, University of Copenhagen. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.